Yeah, you guys love Jesus more than me. I was focused too much on the TV. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, we ask that in this time that you give us hearts of celebration, that you give us hearts of expectation and yearning as we remember and as we dream. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a senior in high school, um, we did a musical called Fiddler on the Roof. Is anybody, anyone familiar with Fiddler on the Roof? Maybe you've seen the movie, or maybe you were lucky enough to see the 1995 production of Carson High School's Fiddler on the Roof. Um, <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof is a show that is steeped in one word. If you had one word to describe Fiddler on the Roof, it's tradition. In fact, the opening song, well, the second song, is a song about tradition. And it's all about the power of tradition. And, and this is a good time to talk about this, because we are about to enter into the time of traditions, right? We, we, we've wrapped up Nevada Day. Halloween happens to fall on that day. Uh, but now we're moving into this, the Thanksgiving, the Christmas season, all these things that just are surrounded by tradition. For some of us, that looks like families gathering together on Thanksgiving and having a meal. For some of us, it, like New Year's Day, it looks like sitting around doing nothing. For some of us, it means you eat black-eyed peas and watch football all day. Uh, there's just all these different things, and it's like weird if they don't happen. And so traditions are so steep to what we do. And this story of these uh, 19th century Jewish family living in Russia just before the Russian Revolution is a story of tradition and change. And how do, we, how do we live in the midst of tradition and yet we know things are going to change? So you can't always live there. We realize that this Halloween was, we have one more Halloween with Emma. And it was like one of those things where, no, it's tradition for Julie's birthday we go trick-or-treating. So Emma's going to have to come home from school. <laughs> Which we know very well, that's just not going to happen, right? I mean, you just can't do that. And so as your kids get older, things start to change and your traditions have to adapt and maneuver. And, and I remember when I went away to school in Missouri, my first Thanksgiving, I wasn't able to come home. And that was just weird. It was just a weird thing to not be able to do the traditions you always do. And even though Golden Corral had plenty of food, it just wasn't the same, right? And so you just end up missing things. Well, this story of Fiddler on the Roof kind of goes along with that. Tevya, the main character, has five daughters, and these five daughters are growing up, and they're growing up in a world that is too modern for Tevya to deal with. And, and, and he grew up in this time of arranged marriages, and you didn't really get to pick who you wanted to marry. And he's got these daughters that are so strong-headed They want to marry their own people that they want to fall in love with. And he begins to bend and he begins to do these different things and let this kind of stuff happen. And in the midst of that, he starts singing these songs called Tradition. And he's like, where is this tradition that I grew up with? And and, and all this stuff and and this turmoil that's going on because he's seeing the world change. It's right on the brink of the Russian Russian Revolution. So Jews are being persecuted heavily, heavily, not heavenly. And... (laughs) And all this stuff's going on in his world, and he's everything. Nothing's the same as it was. And, and it, there's this amazing duet where he asks his wife, do you love me? And she goes on and on, because it was an arranged marriage. And he, she says, of course, I, I washed your clothes, I've cooked for you. And she says, no, but do you love me? 
and she's doing all these things that she does for him. And then at the end, yes, she loves him. Of course, I love you, Tevye. And all this, but there's this turmoil that's going on with what is solid and what keeps changing. And so one daughter says, I want to marry this person. And Tevye goes, I didn't say you can marry this person. And she says, I'm going to marry him anyway. And he begins to bend his rules and he begins to loosen up a little bit until one thing happens. His youngest daughter decides that she wants to marry a Russian soldier. And it was a Russian soldier, of course, that's part of the people that are persecuting the Jewish people. And Tevye says, absolutely not. This is where tradition is going to stand. You are not going to marry a non-Jew. At least the other guys your sisters were choosing are Jewish. You're not going to do this. So Tevye cuts him off, kicks him out, no longer wants anything to do with them. And then you have this amazing restoration and reconciliation part at the end where he brings her back into the family and, and everything goes on. But there's this, this constant battle. In fact, the opening number is sunrise, sunset. The constant rhythms in our life that we can always depend on. Sunrise, sunset. If nothing else is going as planned, sunrise, sunset. And, and there's this story that goes throughout, almost like if you can picture a fiddler on the roof, precariously walking on the peak of the roof, balancing between two worlds and not falling off. That's where Tevia is. And I feel like that's almost a lot where we live today. We live in a place where we kind of teeter between tradition and what's coming. The, the things that we hold on to and the things that are yet to come. And, and we get torn apart. It's why every generation thinks the generation behind them is worthless. Right? Oh, those guys, the, the, all those kids, hell in a handbasket. Just side note, why is it a handbasket? Like, I feel like you could do a better, anyway. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, different places, like it's an ore cart. I don't know. But like, it's always like, we always think that we're a little bit, because we're holding on to these traditions that these young people have no consideration of. It's why when, if you were a teenager in the 50s and 60s and you started liking the, the rock and roll, and the parents are like, those kids, they're devil music. And then all of a sudden, you get like 90s grudge, and the parents are like, these kids, and they're devil music. And now we're like, these kids, and they're hip-hop, which, ish? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jess, Jess is saying with the hip-hop culture. <laughs> She's probably not going to heaven because of that. <laughs> But we always, we always look at like all this stuff that our kids are into. The iPads. The screen time. Do you, do you think like people in the 50s were like, if you keep reading those books, you're going to rot your brain? <laughs> or or maybe, maybe let me ask you this. Those of you that grew up before TV, maybe you don't want to admit it. Uh, did your parents be like, get away from the radio. It's going to rot your brain. Or you just wait for a little orphan Annie to come on so you can listen to it. That's, it's always funny to me. Like, technology is always going to increase, and we're always going to have a generation that is the older generation going, that technology is going to ruin everything. Did you know there was literally a time that the biggest church argument was whether or not to put in pews? Like, that was a huge church discussion, because you used to stand. No, no one sat at church. And so churches split over putting in pews, and nothing has changed. Now we just split over carpet color and whether we have chairs or not. Or in some cases, drums. Right? I mean, but it, it's the same. There's all these things that go on because we want to hold on. But yet, we're always going to be pulled to something different. We're always pulled in that direction. 
But I think it's so important that there's, there's a huge movement. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a lot of pr- uh, predominant pastors and theologians that are basically calling Christians to either shelf their Old Testament or at least not give it any kind of warrant, like at least not give it any kind of credibility. Because they say that we're New Covenant Christians, and if we're New Covenant Christians, then the Old Covenant shouldn't matter to us anymore. Which, on the surface, might sound okay. Except for this. What about all those stories of the people that have gone before us? What, what, how, do we, how, how do we begin to even wrap our mind around faith without reading about Moses splitting the Red Sea? How do we begin to think about the power of God without reading about Joseph telling, or not Joseph, Joshua telling the sun to stand still, and it did? How do we begin to journey forward with all this without knowing that at one time, 40 years in the wilderness was a thing that God prescribed to people? And in our times of waiting, we're not the only ones. If we get rid of all of that stuff, we're just shallow. We have nothing to hold on to. There was a pastor or mentor of mine when I was, when I was just starting out, and he, he said, his name was Sean Randall, and he said that the, the cool thing about what you do in ministry is you should not come out of college and take the biggest church. He said, you have to build your house level at a time. So that way, if you fall down through a level, you don't fall as far. And I think that's perfect advice for how we live, too. We can't just want all the good stuff without the story. I've shared this with you before, but there's an author and a lawyer and and just an amazing individual named Bob Goff. And he tells it in one of his books, he talks about how everybody wants to be Bob Goff now. But nobody wants to be Bob Goff when I sat in front of the dean's office at law school every day for a whole semester until I begged him to let me in. Nobody wants to be the Bob Goff that was going through the hard journeys. Nobody wants to do that. It's why young couples get married and the hardest year of their life is that first year because they come out of a house with their parents a lot of times where they had all this stuff, but they forget their parents have worked for 25 years to get that stuff. And they're like, why don't we have this stuff? Why do we have to pay attention to how much gain detergent costs? You know, uh, so all, but if we, if we forget about those that came before, it's very easy for us to not know where we came from. And I think one of the most important things for Christianity is to remember where we were and where we've come from. That's our story, right? The story that we tell is based on where we were and where we are now, and then the hope comes from where we will be. So there's this three-part thing that has to take place, but it has to start with remembering. If you just tell a story that is, I can't wait to go to heaven someday, that's a good story. But if you tell a story about where you were, and where you are now, and where you will be, that's a great story. Because it shows this deliverance, it shows the journey, it shows the heartache, it shows the pain, it shows the experience that you went through to get to where you're eventually going. It's very easy for the contemporary Protestant evangelical church to throw out tradition. And just to say, you know what, that's what they did. That, but we're, this, is, this is 2019. When's the last time you saw a hymnal? Right? But it's one of those things, right? Because we invented projectors. When's the last time you brought your Bible to church? Allie, Allie's like, today, sucker. Yeah, everyone's like, it's right here, JJ. But it's another one of those things that we almost, we, technology can, can tend to make things obsolete. And if we're not careful, we'll rise against that. 
and will be like stinking technology. It's making everyone just read a screen instead of their Bible. I have often thought about just making up scripture to put up there and reading it one Sunday because y'all never know. Except Allie. Allie would be like, false! <laughs> Got my Bible right here. <laughs> Taylor too. You guys, you guys would call me on it. But it's like one of these things where sometimes it is important for us to hold on to what was and not just let it go. It's one of the reasons, it's probably the main reason why I love the rhythm of the church calendar. Why we celebrate things like Advent and we celebrate things like Lent and we do these things because there's something important about the tradition that came with that for us to focus on this one thing. That's why today I want to take some time and I want to talk about All Saints Day. And it's not about the saints as we like to think about it because Protestants have this really hard time with saints because... We, we have this idea that the Catholics worship them. And, and so we're like, no, we're not doing anything with the saints. But saints are people, the, the scripture tells us that we are saints, that we are a priesthood of believers, that we are the saints. And so any of us that have held fast, that are doing this, these are the people that we want to think about and remember and do. Why? Because it's important to know where we came from. It's important to know that this journey is not just a destination, but it is in fact a journey. And so as we begin to do this, I just want us to go into it with this idea that we're not celebrating any people. We're not worshiping any people. What we're doing is we're remembering a path that was stormed ahead. We're remembering that when they crossed the Jordan and they got across the Jordan, they built an altar of rocks. And they did that so generations to come will see that altar. It happened all the time in the New Testament. All the time. Something big happened, they built an altar. Why? So that other generations can see this altar. Us so that we can hear these stories, so that we can move forward with these stories. All of these things are what make us a church, not just connected. I'm talking about the capital C church everywhere. These stories are what comes in and makes us a part of everything that we do. John Wesley, one of the ones that we claim as, as our founder in our denomination, he, he, he had this big thing about remembering those that came before him. But the funny thing is he had a really bad relationship with his dad. And so his dad was an Anglican priest, and John Wesley was an Anglican priest. But John Wesley, when he did All Saints Day, he would always skip his dad. He had a really, really tough relationship with his dad. And so what I want to do, though, is I want to remember all that have come before. All that have paid this price. Not because of what they did only, but I want to remember what they're, what they're doing now. And the promise that we have to carry through and to be part of that promise. So in our scripture today, we're going to be in Ephesians. See, Mike felt bad. He grabbed the Bible out of the back of the chair. He just did it to fact check me. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 11 through 23. This is one of those letters that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Remembering and then also hoping at the same time. We're going to start in verse 11. What? Oh, that's why it's Galatians. It's like, what in the world? Okay. That, oh, there it is. That's the right scripture now. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of, all of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth. So Paul is saying, 
When we came to you and we preached this gospel, we were the ones bringing you this message. And now, you are equally in this story because you've heard it and you believe it. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to praise of his glory. So we are marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day we are in heaven. And, and, and that's the day that we get glory. For the reason ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that God of, that the God of Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, glory, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he, ex- which he exerted in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul starts out talking about those that have come before. We have come before, we've told you this message, now you've adopted this message. Now, what we're doing from here on out, because of the people that have come before us, is we are moving now towards something else. And this is the beauty of All Saints Day. All Saints Day, we get to celebrate this hope that we have in the resurrection. We get to step back and say, yes, those people were there, but they're also there. And so as we, as we live in this in-between time, as we live in this time before there, like after there and before here, we, we remember, but we also long. It's almost like this season that we call Advent. We remember when Christ was born, but we also long for the second coming of Christ. There's, there's constantly these themes in Scripture, this in-between time, this time that's not then and not now, but it's, I don't know what it is, it's just here. And so we live here. And we, we, we stay here knowing that someday we are going to be in glory. And that is going to be awesome. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Why Jesus? Because of what God the Father did. And we have this whole storyline that moves throughout Scripture that brings us to this place of redemption. And so disciples, we relish in the affirmation of the hope of the resurrection. It is everything for us. sometimes we get clouded and sometimes we think this book is everything for us we we think the Bible is the most important thing but we forget that this would not be a book without the resurrection it will be half a book right? it it would just end in Malachi but because of the resurrection we have this new hope that goes forward we have this new thing it changed everything do you realize the resurrection was so important that it changed the day we worship uh, we, every, worship used to take place on Saturday. But because the resurrection took place on Sunday, we have moved that day to we, we worship on Sunday, which means every day is rejoice. Every day is Easter. Every week. Every Sunday we have Easter. We just pick one to make a big deal about. 
But, but every Sunday is Easter because we proclaim the resurrection. So there's this, there's this thing that takes place. No matter how much we were taught, no matter how much went on. And if you think about, if you want to talk about traditions, the Jewish people have traditions. Their, their life is full of traditions. Even some Christians, the Catholics have traditions. There is so much more tradition and it's rich in their traditions. And the way that they bring forth everything is these traditions that take place. All of the feast days that they have. It's tradition. But the Jewish people, the way they washed their hands before they ate was a tradition. For some of you, that's a tradition too. But not the way they did it. Like everything, everything was symbolic. Everything in their life had some other meaning to it. Everything was tradition. But at that moment, we can look at those things and we can see the journey that we took to when Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus raised again, just eliminating the need for those traditions. We no longer have to sacrifice animals at an altar. We have one God, one Savior, one sacrifice. For all eternity. We're good. We don't have to keep up those traditions. But not all traditions should be gotten rid of. We still need to remember those things. We still need to remember the power of sacrifice. And what it meant for a little kid to raise a lamb from a little tiny birthing lamb. I don't know what you call them. But this little tiny lamb, raise it up knowing that one day he was going to take it to the temple and watch it be slaughtered. We, 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 we have to remember what it looked like for them. We talk about sacrifice, and what's sacrifice for us is what, giving up Dr. Pepper during Lent? That, that, that's sacrifice. For them, sacrifice meant something. It, it was the animal they raised, watch it being slaughtered. That's huge. And so we remember what that was. So when we read the book of Hebrews, and we read all this amazing atonement language and this sacrifice language. We go, this meant something to these people. They, they were stuck in this sacrificial system that when, when it was written to them, they, they read it so much different than we did. Sacrificing for us is giving up lunch. And, and that's about it. We don't sacrifice well. So we have to remember when sacrifice was there and it was part of their everyday living, everyday... Can you imagine... Kiddos, can you imagine raising a lamb, going out, feeding it every day, watering it every day, and then walking miles upon miles, driving this lamb, sometimes having to carry it, just to get to Passover and watch the priest kill it? No one wants to do that. That's a lot of work to go into sacrifice. But because of that, we have this amazing gift of a sacrifice. That now we can look at and go, what did it cost Jesus? Everything. And then what did Mary think when Mary was there at the base of that cross, watching her only son being crucified and dying and being made fun of and ridiculed? That sacrifice, this, this idea. So if we just eliminate all tradition, we walk into this as 2019 sacrificers, and there's no weight to it. We can't just leave it alone. We have to remember those that have come before us. We have to see the altars. We have to see the things that have taken place. We have to remember in order to be fully where we're going to go. And that's where it is. We affirm the great hope of the resurrection. Without that, 
We have nothing. We literally have nothing without that first Easter Sunday. Did you realize that there were two sects of Judaism, Pharisees and Sadducees? The Sadducees did not believe in any kind of bodily resurrection after death. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> I just recently stopped paying school loans for that joke. Uh, <laughs> but this, this, this idea that there was no hope after death, that you just die. So we always think about resurrection and we ended at Jesus, when Jesus resurrected. But we have this affirmation of a hope of resurrection for us, for believers, that when we die, that's not it. We don't just die and go away. We have something bigger, and that, that something bigger is resurrection. And I don't know what that's going to look like. All I know is it's going to be amazing. And all I know is that when I feel like God is not walking beside me, I know there's still hope of resurrection. And I know when I feel so distant from life, I know there's hope of resurrection. And I know that when everything starts caving in and looking like just turmoil, I know there's hope in this resurrection. I know something is going to take place someday that is going to be beyond everything that I can possibly imagine. There's a, the old saying that you only live once. But for Christians, it's not true. We live twice. We only die once. Or as Snoopy likes to remind Charlie Brown that you live every day. But we have this promise that we will once again rise and we will remain in glory forever. And what that looks like is this. I don't know what heaven's going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be actual streets of gold. I don't know if there's going to be all like amazing white houses with pillars. Or I don't know if we're all going to live in boxes. I have no idea. But what I do know is that when John the Revelator sees heaven, the kingdom of heaven descending onto earth, he says this, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more disease. Everything is going to be fully restored. This is the hope of resurrection, full restoration. Without Genesis chapter 1 through 3, without knowing what God created, what does restoration mean? Unless we remember that the garden started with two trees, and Revelation ends with two trees. Restoration. That is the hope. So here's how that plays out in your life. Whatever is going on, you have hope of restoration through resurrection. No matter how dark it is, you have hope of restoration through resurrection. No matter how confused it is, you have hope of restoration through resurrection. Everything is going to be fully restored, not to kind of a good way, but to the exact way that God first intended it. We start with two trees, we end with two trees. God did not, God created it, he said, this is very good. At the end, he will say, this is very good. It's perfect. Though we know we're managing sin, Sin will be gone, and we'll have this amazing res restoration through resurrection. So as we remember, don't get caught in the past. That's like whenever we take communion, and, and you remember the, uh, the, the altar tables that say, do this in remembrance of me. They, they, they used to have them carved in, and, and we would serve communion. And every, like, communion is always like a sad time. Like, it's always like a somber, and you come up and you take communion. But there's this amazing thing that we also remember, not just the death, but we also remember the resurrection. 
And so when we take communion today, we're remembering the past, but we're focused on the future. Remember the past, focus on the hope, focus on restoration, focus on the, 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 the resurrection that takes place in order for all things to be restored the way that Christ originally intended them to be. So the band's going to come back up. And we're going to move into connecting time. And As Pastor Jess discusses the different stations that we have set up here, I want you to utilize these spaces in a way that you remember and you look. We remember the past and we focus on the hope of the future.